I remember being a young bishop and having a member of my ward tell me they don't believe as they used to, and they have begun to question their faith. The hardest part of these scenarios was that it felt like they were looking to me for answers, when in reality, they were coming to me looking for support and hope. These leadership scenarios can quickly remind you how unprepared you might be to minister to individuals or loved ones in your life who've begun to question their faith. This is why Leading Saints created the Questioning Saints Library, where we interviewed over 20 experts with the intent to better understand how we can help individuals who are starting to question their faith. For all the details on how you can access the Questioning Saints Library, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash questioning. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash questioning. It's time once again for a How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. You see, how this works is that every first Wednesday of the month, we focus on a specific calling, and we find two individuals who've served in that specific leadership calling, and then we ask them a simple question of, how is it that you lead? And what comes from these are pearls of wisdom, principles that you will apply and see dramatic changes for the good in your own leadership practice. And this month, we are focusing on counselor in a bishopric. That's right. The counselors sometimes get forgotten in the leadership world. They're ever present, but sometimes we think, uh, yeah, they're just there to carry the bags of the leader, right? No, no, there's much leadership that happens in the world of being a counselor, especially in a bishopric. Now, before I jump into the details here, if you're new to Leading Saints, uh, first, we welcome you, and it's important we explain to you what this podcast is all about. And I'm sure somebody just sent you a link and said, hey, you should listen to this. You would appreciate this, especially if you're Bishop or Counselor. And uh, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through this popular podcast, through our website at leadingsaints.org. Thousands of articles there. We have uh, online events, in-person events, and we're all just focusing on the concept of leadership. So in this episode of the How I Lead segment, like I said, we're focusing on a bishopric counselor. We talk with two Michaels, Michael Newton from Kaysville, Utah, and then Michael Yort from Boise, Idaho. When I uh, had the opportunity to travel up to Boise recently, I uh, tracked down Michael. He was recommended that uh, I connect with him. He's been a counselor several times, and we had a great conversation. Michael Newton as well has some great experience as a counselor, and uh, they both share some phenomenal principles. If you have uh, counselors that you're working with or you are a counselor, this would be a great one just to review and uh, really start thinking through the leadership principles that you use and have established in your experience as a counselor in a bishopric, and either add to these or uh, you know, embrace these principles that these two Michaels have uh, shared in this upcoming uh, interview, and I think you will uh, be glad you did. So here is my interview with Michael Newton and Michael Yort. Today, I have the opportunity to sit down with Michael Newton from Kaysville, Utah. How are you, Michael? Doing great, Kurt. How are you doing? Very good. Awesome. And uh, today, we're going to talk about your experience as far as how you lead as a counselor. It turns out uh, you're wife uh, sent me a message and uh, cornered you with this opportunity to be interviewed. Is that right? Yes. I was volunteered as tribute by my wife without my consent, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> nice. Happy to be here, though. 
Yeah, for sure. So is it your wife is generally listening to leading saints around your home or, and does she elbow you once in a while and say, Hey, you got to listen to this or. Uh, no, I've been listening for a couple of years. Um, really found it a valuable resource, frankly, a way, something that spurs revelation while listening. I'll listen to it on a commute or on a run or something like that. Uh, I introduced her to it and then she, you know, we're both kind of hooked and now it gives us something to talk about and to think through together. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that for sure. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, you, obviously you're from Kaysville. Is that where you're originally from? Give us your background and uh, fill us in there. Uh, I am from, I'm from Davis County, grew up in Bountiful Centerville area. We've lived here for a few years now, but kind of bounced around the country a little bit. Um, undergrad at BYU, I went to law school in Illinois. So I was there for a few years. We lived in New York City for a couple of years where I practiced law, kind of cut my teeth came back, was at a, a law firm here for several years, uh, and then made the jump to work for, uh, work for a publicly traded company here in the Salt Lake Valley, uh, help with all of their corporate and strategy, any, any legal needs there. So counsel them and try to help us make the right decisions uh, as a company. But uh, we've lived in this house in Kaysville for about three, three and a half years. I've uh, been part of two wards as part of that and currently in a brand new ward. So that's been a fun experience. Yeah. And we'll definitely talk about that because is it the, your ward recently split? Is that uh, what happened? Yeah. So back in about five, six months ago, uh, we split. We had a ward where we had about 750 people coming every week. Uh, wow. We split and uh, formed a new ward back in, it was in October 2019. Uh, which I think is the 15th unit in our stake. Uh, so we are. Wowza. So uh, maybe that stake can group. split here soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lots of growth. So it's great. It's a fun area. Um, it's been, it's been neat to be part of that process. And it's a great ward, a great stake. Awesome. So your wife mentioned that you had been a counselor several times. Uh, how many times would you guess uh, you've been a counselor in some form and, and, several presidencies? Uh, many, many times. Um, I've served as a counselor in four different bishoprics. Uh, apparently haven't learned my lesson on that one yet, so that keeps kind of recurring. Um, served as a counselor a couple times in young men's presidencies, elders quorum presidencies, um, and then had lots of other, you know, various callings. So awesome. where we're supported by counselors and really appreciated them. Yeah. And then uh, you've given a little bit of information about your ward. How would you describe your ward in general as far as demographics? And is it pretty traditional uh, Utah uh, ward? It is. It's pretty traditional. Um, it's a younger ward. I would say uh, the average age is uh, mid 30s. Um, so we have something like 150 to 200 kids in the primary, uh, but we only have 30 or 40 youth. Um, compare that to the ward we came from that was about 10, 10 years ahead of us. We had 120 youth and, you know, there was like 40 or 50 kids in the primary. So younger ward nurseries are bursting at the seams. Um, so it's, it's yeah. been fun. And then were you in the, the Bishop break before the split or did you, it was recent. Okay. So what, uh, I, I need to do several episodes around this whole dynamic of wards splitting and because there's so much that goes into that and uh, as far as, as leadership's concerned. So what uh, hard and fast tips would you have for us if someone is about to go through a, a ward split? Um, well, you got to accept that it's going to happen when it's going to happen and you have no control <laughs> over the timing. Um, 
we people thought it was going to happen for months and months and months. There was radio silence, and then one one week we found out on Sunday you're splitting. Um, wow. So there wasn't actually a lot of lead time into it, and that posed some challenges um, of maybe newer members in the ward not wanting to connect with older or vice versa. Um, we really tried though to integrate the ward. You know, as a counselor in that bishopric, I served with the bishop who had 750 people coming to church every week and somehow needed to get to know them and uh, minister to them. And I was the bishopric counselor in the kind of newer part of the ward, the newer development, and kind of took that on as my responsibility to try to really get to know people down here in this subdivision. And that way I could uh, facilitate that for the bishop. But yeah. You know, gossiping about the, the word split coming doesn't make it go any faster. Uh, it certainly doesn't help. Uh, uh, but it's been neat to be part of that process and see uh, kind of how God has led us through it. Yeah, for sure. So um, so it sounds like, I mean, the, the, the rumor mills is ever present in our culture. <laughs> and I think that just makes us human. And there's really not much you can do to to uh, diminish that, I would say. Other, and that's probably why, uh, you know, it just sort of happens and, and you know, things are put in place so that <laughs> it's just an immediate process and people have less time to talk about it maybe. But Yeah, I um, mean, there comes a point where the ward becomes just too big to, to administer. Uh, it's just, you can't fit everybody in the building. <laughs> yeah. You can't, uh, you know, there just becomes a point where you're too big. The, the message we tried to share um, before we split was look at this great opportunity we have to all be together. You know, we have 125 young men and young women now, and how great is it for all these kids to have so many friends? We have all of these great adults who can be leaders, who can be helping. Let's, let's take advantage of this and really uh, this community that we have. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's jump into your time as a counselor and see, uh, see, I'm interested to hear your experience and, and what you've learned. And, and the way I handle these obviously is if you go back in time, uh, to the first time you're ever counselor on day one and give yourself some advice, uh, what would it be? And the first one that you, uh, you prepared is as far as uh, candid counsel, uh, being candid and is, as you are counseling with the, the bishop or whomever it is you're serving in the presidency. So, how do you go about being candid in, in the as a counselor? Yeah, I think this comes a bit from my legal training, and you know, one of my obligations is to be candid and to be to not be afraid to say what needs to be said. Um, I would say the way that I approach that would be whether it's in a bishopric meeting or or council or or just some other setting by listening to what's being said you know, kind of, if I feel impressions to speak up and share those and not really be worried about, well, is, is somebody going to think I'm crazy? Are they going to, are they all going to disagree with me? I don't know that that really matters. It's the important thing is getting that viewpoint out and then allowing uh, a bishop, for example, with priesthood keys to be able to consider that when making that decision to, and while receiving revelation been in ward councils where it's just radio silence at all times. And it's just the revelatory process just doesn't really work. You need to be candid. You need to be counseling together uh, in a Christ-like way. But I found that in doing that and not being afraid of being wrong or being worried about saying the perfect thing all the time, um, that at least can facilitate some discussion and help keep those, get those wheels moving for the, for the bishop or for the you know, men's president or whoever it may be. 
Yeah. And I think one part where people struggle with as far as being candid is we, you know, we have a lot of respect for obviously the the president of that presidency or the bishop whom we're, we're serving with. And we we want to respect his or her keys if, if that's involved in the presidency or just that authority that's there. And so what advice would you give to people who are just, you know, they don't want to speak out of turn or, or, you know, if that's what the bishop wants to do, I guess that's what we should, we should do. Like, how do you get comfortable with sort of pushing back at times in order to be candid? Yeah, a couple of thoughts there. I, I think, I, I, you know, I haven't been in these meetings, but you hear stories of the first presidency or the quorum of the 12 and the meetings that they have in which people are, you know, very candid and sharing what their thoughts. But at the end of the day, once they've done that, they, they're willing to sit back and allow the, the, the leader to make those decisions. You know, there's probably, there's a line somewhere between continuing to argue and uh, being a pain when the, the priesthood leader is trying to, uh, has made a decision and you just keep disagreeing versus when that decision-making process is ongoing um, and being willing to continue to try and chime in. Um, I do think that the, per the, the leader in charge needs to be willing to step in and say, okay, thank you everyone for sharing that and you know, making clear that they're making a decision and that this is the decision we'll follow, that's helpful. Um, I also think that the leader in charge, it's very helpful if they are willing to sit back and listen and ask for questions. Um, I served not as a counselor, I was an executive sec secretary in a different bishop uh, in a ward when I was in law school. And that bishop did, uh, it, was, it was a ward full of graduate students, um, very young, and was probably the most effective ward council I've ever been a part of, because that bishop would say, here's the issue, what do we think? How can we, how can we work this issue as organizations? And then he would sit back and everyone would talk, everyone would share their perspectives and counsel, really counsel together. And at the end, the bishop would say, okay, thank you for that. Um, I think this is what we need to do. And then we would all go forward and do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you ever found that some leaders that you've served with are sort of taken aback a little bit the first time you're a bit candid and, and they feel like, man, <laughs> I wow, I, you know, Michael's really sharing his opinion here. Uh, any, any interactions like that? Um, yes, that has definitely happened. <laughs> and I don't, I tend not to be shy. Um, I've learned that part of my job is to prep the leader. Um, so when we formed this new bishop, bishopric in this ward, bishop came over to my house the kind of the week, the week before it happened. And we sat down and we talked and I said, look, I feel like one of my responsibilities is to be candid and to share my opinions. If you feel like I'm talking too much, if you feel like I'm overstepping, please let me know. But this is kind of my default position is I'm going to be candid with you and share. And, you know, I don't want candid to be seen as like I'm going to be, I don't know, uh, unchristlike about things. Right. Yeah. Um, or uh, kind of over the top. But, you know, I'm going to share the feelings that I have and then we can make a decision based on that. And if you decide that that's not the right way to go, that's OK. I'm fine with that. Um, and I won't be offended. Um, but I'm going to speak up and you should know that going in. Yeah. And I can't over or overemphasize the importance of just having that conversation, right? I remember, yeah. uh, you know, the council, when I had opportunity to serve as a counselor in different uh, presidencies or bishoprics, you know, I, I was intentional of having that conversation of saying, listen, Bishop, like I respect your perspective, your keys, your authority. I want you to know that the way I see my job is I'm going to fight for certain ideas and perspectives I'll fight, fight, fight up until the moment you say we're going in one direction and I'll support you 100%. But it's yep. my job as a counselor to push back and, and to 
hopefully demand deeper revelation and inspiration as we go through these processes. And just having that conversation is is so important because you can, there could be people listening to this and you're like, you know what? He's right. I'm going to go in there you know, <laughs> I, and I'm going to, with my guns blazing, and uh, I'm going to be candid. I've been wanting to be candid and I should do it. And then the bishop looks at you like, what on earth is with this person? You know, like, it, so having that conversation is really important. Yeah, there's a, you know, there's a, I've, I've been in ward councils where the person definitely wants to be candid and then they take the next 45 minutes ranting about something, right? Uh, that's not helpful either. Um, so we should be candid, but also be willing to understand our role in the process and it's not to dominate for an hour and make yeah. sure everyone agrees with us, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that how you use the term rant, you know, because that's, that's maybe a good... Uh, example of, yeah, you are maybe being candid during a rant, but it's also maybe not helpful, especially if it, it carries on, right? So usually being candid is like, I'm going to give you straight facts and perspectives. and But when we mix a lot of emotion into it, and then that's it's right. like, you're the guy in, in ward counselor in the princely meeting that's like, whoa, okay, you know, Michael's feeling really passionate about this. I don't want to push up, you know, push back on that. And then it doesn't help the meeting as well, right? Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, I think about this in my professional career. My job is to uh, to test, to test, to push a little bit, um, and not in a bad way, but to okay. We think we're going this way. What about this? Let's think about these outcomes. Let's think about these scenarios. And you kind of test what's being proposed a little bit and ask questions. Um, and I think that can also help uh, with that revelatory process to flesh out some of the details. And maybe some of the things that we're not thinking about, uh, maybe unintended consequences or uh, that may yeah. come from the decision. Awesome. Anything else we've miss, uh, we're missing on that, uh, that point of being candid as a counselor? Uh, you know, I think what I'd say is I, I have had experiences where I leave a meeting and I think to myself, you know, I may have just crossed that line or, oh, I, uh, boy, did I, did I, uh, did I overstep my bounds there? Did I kind of steal the bishop's thunder a little bit? I don't know. And so there have been, you know, I've had times where I've had to follow up with the bishop or somebody else in the meeting and say, you know, this is what I was trying to do. I hope it came across the right way. I support you in that decision. Uh, I'm not trying to get ahead of you, things like that. And usually people appreciate that. And I'm yeah. just kind of overthinking things. But I do think it's yeah. important that we not overstep, especially those priesthood keys. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go into that process. Perfect. Uh, the next principle you noted here is something that you think about often as far as that the Savior, one of the titles of the Savior that we learn about in Isaiah is he was a counselor. Uh, what, what inspires you about uh, that perspective? Yeah, it really, it causes me to think about how am I conducting myself, right? In Isaiah, he's called the wonderful counselor. Um, and... Um, it causes me to think about what the Savior did throughout his life. He went about, he was teaching, he was ministering, but he never forced, he never caused somebody to make a decision. He taught them and allowed them to choose. And I think as a counselor in the church, we have the opportunity to do that as well, whether it's providing counsel, but it's also, we have an opportunity in these roles to be teachers, um, to be ministers. In my current role, the opportunity to minister to the youth, um, to be teaching the ward, and those are opportunities where we can do that, but ultimately they have to, to then choose whether or not they want to follow that counsel or not. Yeah, and uh, and so really sort of just that 
it reminds you of that cadence that you have, right? As a as a counselor, is is it's an opportunity to be Christ-like and minister. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Anything else with uh, being a counselor as the Savior that we haven't mentioned? You know, I thought a little bit about um, the example we see from the Savior uh, in the pre-existence, how he was given direction um, from the Father to go and do certain things, and he would do that. And then you would come back and return and report. And I think that's a good model that we can follow as well as counselors. We serve with leaders who are uh, overburdened with uh, work and family and church. And I think they hope that when we, when they ask us to go and do something, we will go and do it and we will give it our best effort. And then we can come back and return and report. But uh, the leader needs to be able to trust that as a counselor, you will do the things you're going to say you're going to do. You're going to be responsible um, and that they can rely on you. Otherwise, you become kind of another burden. And they just feel like they have to do everything themselves. Yeah, isn't that true? Like there's, and I've seen it both the good and bad where, yeah, the counselor can sort of become a burden, right? That, man, I asked this, you know, the bishop's thinking or release study prison's thinking, I asked them to do this thing and I end up always just having to do it, you know, and it's just it's sort of frustrating and, and you know, shouldn't be that way, right? Right. Um, which they should I think be able to... Stuff depend on me, rely on me to go and do the things I said I'm going to do and to make their life easier, not harder. Yeah, exactly. Which is a perfect segue to your uh, third principles, which is uh, lift the burden of of the uh, president or bishop of, of the presidency. Yeah, this is one that I've noticed a lot. Maybe I'll give you an example. Um, I served I served in a ward um, that was more uh, transient. Uh, there were more needs, more welfare needs uh, than maybe my current ward. Um and that meant, sorry if you can hear my little one in the background. Uh, we know we know you're human, so you have a normal life. <laughs> that's my three-year-old. Um, and so we have, um, what, what was happening is the bishop had to spend so much time administering welfare um, or other needs to the parents that he couldn't minister to the youth. He had almost no time for the youth. And so I tried to push a little bit on that. You know, Bishop, can you delegate that? Can we, it, your, one of your primary roles is to be ministering to these youth and that's being taken away right now. Um, how can we help you as a counselor? How can we ease that burden for you and try to make adjustments so that he could do that and spend more time with the youth? Yeah. Um, so, so I do feel like our, one of our, one of my roles as a counselor is to make life easier uh, for the leader that I've served. Um, you know, another example is if the church right now, there's a lot of guidance that comes out from the church on the COVID-19 situation, what's happening with activities or going to church or, uh, baptism services is a big one we've been dealing with in this ward where we have, you know, a few kids every month that are ready to get baptized. And what is the latest guidance? I feel like one of the things I can do to lift the burden of the bishop is to really read that and understand it. So he doesn't have to spend his time. I mean, he still reads it, but so he doesn't have to spend his time fully understanding and kind of digging into the details, he can rely on me or the other counselor to be able to kind of provide some guidance there. Yeah. And, and this is sometimes a tough um, sort of passive aggressive struggle that happens between counselors and, and the bishop or the president of the, of the presidency, because, um, you know, sometimes they, they want to do, they, they sort of want to do everything and they sort of feel a responsibility to do a lot of things, you know, where, you know, the, I think the welfare is a good example where at the end of the day, and, and I've, the ward I served as bishop in was a high welfare ward. And I always reminded myself, my only job during this welfare process is I'm the only guy that can say yes or no, 
cut the check. And so, but I don't have to like, you know, scour through spreadsheets or budgets and, you know, look at utility statements. Other people can do that. Right. And so I always remind myself, I'm, I'm just the guy that can say yes or no in this process. And then I can hand the, the rest over either to a welfare specialist or a counselor or whatever. But sometimes it's like, well, I sort of like, you know, as a bishop or as a, a president of the quorum or whatever, you sort of like being in the details a little bit. And that's where sometimes the ministering happens. And so sometimes it does take a good counselor to say, hey, bishop, listen, I get it. You want to be involved there. But I think I think there's a lot you can do with the youth, right? And to have a conversation there, and 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 again, this is where the candidness comes in, right? You push back a little bit and say, "I just really think you could, you could uh, focus here and have it have a larger impact, right?" And he may push back a little bit, but at least you have that conversation and get to the place. But you know, as far as lifting the burden or removing burdens from as a counselor, sometimes you know, they kind of hold on to that burden. They, no, I don't want to give it to you, right? And so you have to talk it through and see if it's sort of a negotiation, right? Yeah, and you need to be willing to have those conversations with the bishop. And I try to frame those as, or or the young men's president or the elders foreign president, right? I try to frame those as, I've noticed this. Hmm. Have you noticed this? I've noticed, Bishop, that you, you're spending a lot of time with the parents of the youth and you're kind of burning the candle at both ends. I really want to help you there. I was thinking maybe I could do this and try to be proactive rather than adding one more thing for that leader to do to come up with a way for me to help. Uh, I was thinking we could do this. What do you think about that? A lot of times they'll say, oh, yes, that would be great, right? I just, I've been burdened by this. That would be very helpful. And they just don't have time to think about how to delegate it because they're so busy. You know, another aspect of this I've seen, though, is leaders not wanting to burden their counselors to take the time their counselors time with things so they'll just handle yeah. it themselves rather than putting the burden on their counselors and taking time away from their families but in reality when you do that what you're doing is you're no longer you're not providing them an opportunity to sacrifice and to be able to receive the blessings that come from that you're kind of becoming an accidental diminisher in that way right you're yeah. you don't want to burden them but you're in doing so you're 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 holding something back that could help them to grow as part of that process yeah, for sure. And that's, the uh, you know, this goes back to the principle of, you know, you're always training your replacement, right? Like mm -hmm. at some point uh, the more, uh, I don't know if I would say more often than not, but very typical, the bishop of a ward has been a counselor before, right? And so giving them opportunity to sort of understand the workings behind the curtain or how things function or, or delegating things to them, it gives them a lot of opportunity so that when their time comes to be the leader, to be the, the bishop, they have a better sense of what they're doing and what they can delegate and how it all works. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, the other thought I had on, um, on lifting, um, kind of lifting the burdens of the, those of the Bishop or the other person that you're serving with is that, you know, and you know, this very well was we hear in your podcast, uh, lonely leadership can be lonely, right? Mm -hmm. You yep. feel like you're all alone, especially a Bishop who is, in counseling uh, with a couple or with a youth and they kind of the, at times they feel like these burdens are just placed on them as a, as a counselor i feel like one of the opportunities we have is to try to help lift those burdens too um we can do that by you can do that by you can see that right you're meeting with the bishop and you see that he's tired you can see that um there is something going on that's really just hard right now and he may not feel like he can disclose confidences and share all those details with you. Um, but you can still have a conversation that tries to help 
uh, where he can maybe, I don't know if vent is the right word. Uh, sometimes it is. Uh, yeah, vent about yeah. something that's happening or just kind of get something off of his chest um, and try to help ease the burden that way. Um, you know, I served, it was a high priest group leader once and um, the bishop and I were home teaching companions and we would go and each month we would try to reach out to eight to 10 kind of less active families. And we would be out on a Sunday afternoon for a few hours. And most of that three to four hours was not people letting us in and talking to us. Um, but it was the bishop just being able to have someone he could talk to and just kind of unload a little bit. I think as a counselor, we can help with that and some of the stress and some of the burden that comes to lift, lift that. And then if you can see that, we can find ways to minister. Maybe it's just a, a nice, a kind text or something like that, or just a note that goes to let them know you appreciate them. But we have opportunities to minister to those leaders because we can see maybe more than others that they, how they might be struggling or have needs. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, another dynamic, I'd be interested in your perspective that I sometimes see is, you know, a counselor is happy to serve. They want to lift the burden of of the bishop, um, but sometimes they suddenly become like the bishop bodyguards, right? <laughs> I, I've sat in s several meetings where discussing something with the bishop and then the counselor steps in and says, oh, well, you know, the bishop is quite busy, you know, that he may not have time to do that. Like, well, I, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm having a conversation with the bishop and let's, you know, and, and sometimes we feel this, this, um, this right responsibility to sort of protect the bishop from things, which I think to some extent is is important. But I would say a lot of these, as far as lift the burden conversations, like I don't I don't think it's helpful when the counselors become two bodyguards rather than two two counselors, or they're or they're sort of protecting the bishop. I think there's systems that would be put in place to protect the bishop, but maybe just avoid that perception and, and keep these conversations within the bishopric meeting of saying, you know, where you are sort of protecting Bishop saying, Hey, Bishop, I see, you know, ABC is happening. Can I take B and C? And I think there's a way we could work that out. Right. Rather than stepping in front of members who are trying to access their Bishop. Right. But any thoughts on that? Uh, I agree. And it, it, I, I definitely been in scenarios where I probably overstepped a little bit on that way or have seen <laughs> that happen uh, because you can see, as it kind of goes back to what I was saying, I can I can see the burden that 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 is on that leader, and I can see how this conversation is going to then add to that burden. Mm -hmm. But if they're having a conversation, it's probably not my place to step in and kind of cut them off, right? Um, it might be a follow up conversation with the bishop saying, "Okay, yeah, you just got this dumped on you. Can I take it and run with it and help yeah. you after the fact, rather than kind of getting in the middle of the original conversation?" Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, the last question I have is, as you have uh, had opportunities, many opportunities to serve as a counselor um, and, and be a leader in that in that sense, how has that helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? You know, ultimately, the Savior's life was spent going about doing good, ministering to others, teaching. And I found that being a counselor really facilitates that. You're, you're enabled to go and to lift the burdens of the, the, the president or the bishop that you're serving with, um, to minister to them. It, it provides opportunities for you to be able to minister to others in the ward that you maybe not have had. And I don't always appreciate those in the moment. Usually I start to appreciate those just when you get released. I, I tend to be more of an introvert by nature and 
going around and working the room is not really my style, uh, you know. In a, but when I'm in those responsibilities, those things come more naturally, and then you get released, and all of a sudden it feels like my tongue is tied. So I feel like these opportunities as a counselor provide you opportunities to serve uh, in ways that the Savior would, to be magnified by Him in ways that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. Today I am in uh, Boise, Idaho with Mike Yort. How are you, Mike? I'm doing very well, thank you. Well, great. I, I'm excited to uh, delve into some of your history here. Um, how did you end up in, in Boise? I took a position with the company that I work for and 12 years ago, and they invited me to move to Boise. And turns out as we sit here today, they've been, they've offered me a new position to move to Sacramento, California, which is our next adventure. Awesome. That's great. And then, yeah, there's a, a sign in front of your house, you're moving and headed headed west. Yes. Right? Cool. Unlike the masses who all kind of want to move to Boise from California. Right. Yeah. You're, you're going to pass people on your way there. That's yes. Cool. Well, cool. And, um, with how I lead episodes, this is uh, the calling we're focused on is uh, being a counselor in a bishopric, and you've had some experience there. I have. I've had the opportunity to be in two bishoprics, actually. Nice. Nice. So two different bishops, isn't that right? Yes. Cool. And so you'll obviously everybody's got their own personality, and and uh, there you probably have to. There's just a different mo when it comes to working with two different guys, right? And well, and you can good. draw from both of their um, different strengths and yeah. the different things that you can bring to the table, if you will, or the different things that you can absolutely learn from them. Yeah, for sure. So what, uh, any, anything unique or that you think back when you were called to some of those positions, because I think they were consecutive, right? Because yes. it was a ward split that created a new bishopric with a new bishop and, and you went that way. But any Correct. unique story as far as being called to that, uh, that position or transitioning into that, that position that, uh, we found maybe difficult or easy or smooth. I appreciate that. So probably first and foremost, the first bishopric came as a complete surprise um, when the stake presidency called and asked to meet with my wife and I. She had just recently been released from a calling, so we were convinced it was for her. <laughs> and when he sat in the house and invited us to participate as a counselor in the bishopric, it came as a huge surprise and a, and a real big shock. Um, but it was absolutely an opportunity that I looked forward to and, and hoped to contribute. But it was intimidating, had never been in one. Um, in fact, the, the three members of the bishopric, the bishop and myself and the, the other counselor, none of us had been in a bishopric. So it was quite the learning curve as we dived right into the handbook and tried to figure out what we were supposed mm. to do. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> some, sometimes that ignorance and, and little experience helps to really get figure out you don't make too many assumptions that way. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. That's great. And um, if you were just, I mean, to coach somebody who's being called to a bishopric and, and as far as just getting a handle on things, I mean, obviously you're sort of looking for the bishop's lead, I would imagine, but any, any other uh, points come to mind that as far as starting out in that calling? Uh, the first thing I would always suggest is um, at that moment, you immediately should pray for your own testimony of the validity of the calling of the new bishop. Mm. And as soon as you have that, it is overwhelming the um, the knowledge and experience and, and believe it or not, almost the level of expertise that they bring instantaneously because the Spirit leads them and, dire and directs them from that moment moving forward. Mm. And that was a huge testimony building for me because I had the chance to do that on two separate occasions and got to witness those light bulbs go on two different times and how fun it was to be a part of that. Yeah. But the next thing that I would suggest is um, your own study, reading, 
um, studying the handbook, getting to understand those different responsibilities. And then the stake presidency does an amazing job of training new bishoprics. So when you get that opportunity to sit down with them, come with questions, come with an open mind, be inquisitive, be spiritual and be ready to learn because yeah. they'll put it all on your lap and expect you to deal with it. Yeah, and I, I know there's probably some bishopric counselors listening right now thinking, wait a second, I've been in this calling for a year. I never got training from my stake president. But if you haven't, give them a call and say, please do and yeah. say, hey, you're supposed to train me on this, right? Because it is there's that's part of their. It is part of their responsibility, and it is an excellent opportunity for you not only to be able to get to know them a little bit better if you hadn't already, Mm -hmm. um, but the insight and the spirituality and the direction that they bring is overwhelming and tremendous. That's awesome. Anything you remember? um, Are you currently in the bishopric? I am not. Okay, you're moving on, right? There's there's another (laughs) bishopric waiting for you somewhere else. Um, Anything like practical things that you used, any apps or as far as like getting work done, how you did meetings or, uh, you know, did you use an app for this or that or anything come to mind as far as maybe you just texted a lot? I don't know. No, it's a great question. So initially, my first bishopric, we um, had kind of taken on the old school method of the bishop ahead of us. And it was just paper everything and phone calls. and, And it soon became apparent that there were other ways to manage things. And what I appreciated most um, with the second bishop that I had an opportunity to serve with was he used technology much better, Mm -hmm. and that made everything better. And he had different applications that we used to communicate to the ward council that could be just for those listening ears and watching eyes. And then we had a separate group for the young men's organization and the young women's organization, enabling us to be able to communicate better and more openly and be able to track the notes that we had had in different meetings, things we had discussed, things we might have planned for, things that we had started to plan and then tabled for another day. All of that was readily available rather than thumbing through a, you know, an inch wide binder for four hours trying to find what it is you wanted to discuss again. Yeah. And sometimes you just sort of have to follow the lead of how the bishop works, right? I mean, I know some (laughs) bishopric members that they sort of feel trapped in Archaic methods says their bishop just likes his three three ring binder and doing it that way. But yes. uh, but technology is also it's helpful. a very big added benefit that yeah. the Lord has blessed us with that can be used to make the calling easier. Yeah. Awesome. And as I do uh, with these how I lead interviews, typically I have you just think about some leadership principles that you implemented in your in your different opportunities of serving. And uh, the first one you said was humility. How did you uh, leverage humility in in your call? Well, as crazy as this sounds, there's this immediate respect given by the other ward members that now you're in a bishopric and you thought, (laughs) wait a minute, last week I was a nobody. I was the primary teacher. I was, there was nothing special about me. And now all of a sudden you look up to me like there's something as magical has happened. And the only magic that happened was I set apart to be a servant of the Lord and I was humbled to be there Mm -hmm. and excited to be there because it was my opportunity and my time to serve. Um, but that humility has to remain in order to have that spirit with you and so that you can be touched and be and listen to that guiding spirit so you know what to do. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where you recognize that, uh, oh, there's maybe an extra layer of respect because yes. I, I represent the bishopric, but uh, recognize it and, and realize that it is what it is, but you don't need to absorb it, right? No, nothing <laughs> at all like that. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Um other point you put is just obedience. Uh, how did you, how did obedience play in your, in your role? Well, there was a couple of different instances that come to mind. Um, but most specifically, 
in that role, uh, it is most important that you are obedient to the direction given to you by all of the leaders now that are trying to educate you and point you in the right direction. And most especially, you know, the Savior who wants you to lead and and direct the ward in such a way that it goes the direction he wants it to go. So being obedient to those individuals who are trying to teach you and coach you, um, first and foremost was the bishop. There comes a point where in all of those meetings and all of the countless hours that you spend with one another, you could get to the point where you feel like you might have you can always share your thoughts and feelings, but when the bishop has a, the ultimate direction that we're going to take, then that obedience becomes a the most important thing you can do from that point forward, because that's the direction that the Spirit gave him, and that's what our Heavenly Father wants us to do. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, obviously you have different meetings and mm-hmm. councils, and you, you know, beat around ideas as much as you can, but then, you know, a decision's made, and it's an opportunity for uh, you to recognize that, you know, inspiration may have been received. Absolutely. Yep. That's cool. Um, And then uh, the the communication, that that was a big one. Okay. So this was probably the thing that I had to learn the most. And what's really funny about that is it's what I do for a career. I openly communicate with hundreds of people on a monthly basis to make sure that we're all doing the right thing and moving the right direction and and accomplishing the goals that we have set for ourselves. Mm. But there was something about this that always felt like there was a disconnect. And it goes back to exactly what we talked about a minute ago. Here I was jotting down 100 notes in Word Council. And if I never picked that page up again, or if I didn't remember to call those four people that I had written it down for, or and part of being in a bishopric in, in a ward that influenced me the most is you have to realize that it's more than just all of the meetings. You do have to take some of that work home with you. Hmm. And what I mean by that is you can't just zip that binder up and put it in your office and then get back to it next Sunday morning. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just simply who try. Yeah, it, <laughs> it just simply doesn't work that way. And oftentimes it takes some fortitude to go back and get that thing when you have enough to do at home and those are long Sundays and they're full of meetings and you've got plenty to do. And when you get home from that, you want to just set that aside and worry about it again when church comes around again. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But it just simply can't be that way. So being cognizant and understanding and being a very good planner so that you can openly communicate all of those things that are discussed. Otherwise, you're in that perpetual circle that exists in every ward council that it has gone on from the beginning of time. <laughs> and that is you talk about it last month and you talk about it next month and you'll talk about it the next month uh-huh. because nothing ever progresses unless that next step is taken. And sometimes that requires your time to go visit the Sunday school president and have another meeting with him and get that ball rolling on what the bishop wants to happen. It can't just be discussed again next month or it'll never progress. Yeah. You know, that, that is so true that I think as leaders, you sometimes see that happening like, wait a minute, like, didn't we just talk about this last three meetings, right? And that's maybe an opportunity to step back, reflect, and say, all right, how, what, how's my follow-through? How's our communication, right? Uh, and how, because in, in in your day job, I'm sure you can't just set it on the, no. you know, there's obviously some uh, some uh, consequences that could come, like, oh, I could lose my job, or I, I won't hit my goal, or these these things, right? So, but in the church, it's easy to sort of be like, oh, yeah, I'll, 
next Sunday. I'll catch that next week, right? When when it's on your mind again, or worst case, you're sitting in sacrament meeting and you go, oh no, I was supposed to speak with brother so-and-so. And and Uh yet here we are. And now another week has gone by. And the thing that the bishop needed done is now not going to happen for yet another week. And that's disappointing for not only the bishop, but of course, our heavenly father who gave him the direction for those things to happen. So was there any specific routine or habit you had to make sure that you stayed engaged even outside of the meetings? That's a great question. So one of the things that I ended up doing is that binder when I got home on Sunday night after a long day and you're hungry and you're tired and you just want to spend some time with your family, I I deliberately and, and purposefully left it open on my desk so that when I got up the next morning, I went downstairs mm-hmm. and was reminded, okay, it's not over yet. You have other things that you need to do and other responsibilities. And then I would take that time because on a Sunday afternoon, you just now want to be home. Right. Um, but then I would just start adding those specific to-do lists into my daily routine, into my calendar for the week. And then, you know, if I had the opportunity Tuesday evening to make a phone call as I was on my way back from a business meeting, then I could make that phone call Mm -hmm. to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and and accomplish the task that I was required or or that had been asked of me. Yeah. And because it was on my calendar and that was part of my routine to make sure it got accomplished. Yeah. And it seems... um Simple, and it could be even more difficult now because maybe that bishop member, you know, everything's on his phone, right? And so he doesn't have the binder to leave open, but to have some type of system or cue yes. that, that will, will that'll ping you on Monday morning saying, wait, we're, this isn't done here, right? Yes. There's some, some follow-up items. And so if you, if you have the dedication during those meetings um, to put that in your device of choice to make sure that that yeah. reminder comes, all the power to you because it will serve you well and it will keep the work moving forward as it should. Awesome. Anything else with uh, communication or just... Uh, just, just that, that um, that is the calling. As I grew to understand it, you are really the voice to the ward for the bishop. He simply cannot have all of those side meetings. He -hmm. can't communicate all of those things that are on his mind that need to now be accomplished. He's got so many other tasks to be responsible for and and things he must do in order to be the servant of the Lord that he's been called to be in that specific calling. So when he asks you to go visit someone, that is the number one thing that you have to do, and you have to carry that message. So be mindful of that message and give it exactly as he's given it to you Mm. so that that message is portrayed correctly and it can be executed down the line the way that it should have been. Yeah. Any, uh, as far as communicating with uh, different uh, organizations that Mm -hmm. you worked with, anything come to mind that, uh, like, because you talked about maybe you have a side meeting with the Sunday Mm -hmm. School president, any uh, approach you had there? More than anything, just to prepare them for the meeting. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you were going to sit there in their home and just take more time that was valuable to everybody. Mm-hmm. So it was my preference to whatever that individual's communication preference was, whether it was email or text or phone call. And you'll get to learn those individuals and those different auxiliaries soon enough as you mm-hmm. work with them. And just let them know that this was the purpose of my coming to see you. This is what has we have discussed. This is what we're coming to discuss with you. These are the things that we're going to ask you to do. And then allow them an opportunity to think on that so that the meeting was more productive. And then they could come with their subsequent questions or suggestions or whatever it is that we were going to meet about. Give them the chance to prayerfully consider that meeting and and be an active participant in it rather than just being told what to do and then you had to check up on them and make sure it was happening. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I like that because it could be, it's so easy to just say, hey, we're, we're on, we want to meet, you know. Yes. <laughs> we'll be over at two to meet. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> what, are we, what are we talking about? So preparing them so that maybe they can do some mental processing before. Yeah, I mean, up to and including, I mean, and back to that example with a Sunday school president, you could say, you know, the, the class 14 is in need of another instructor, another teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, could you, between now and Wednesday, when I see you, prayerfully consider some names? And mm-hmm. then we can discuss those names when I come to talk to you about it mm-hmm. so that I can take those names back to the bishop. Otherwise, you've had a meeting to now subsequently have to have another meeting. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to give them some... Uh, some time to, to process for sure. Yes. Um, what about duty? You mentioned duty. That uh, uh, how, how did that play a role in your in your call? Well, the sense of duty is that it is important. Every every calling in the church, there's a reason for the um, the organization that we have as we have it. The our heavenly Father has given that direction to modern-day prophets so that we all operate wards and branches in the same similar fashion so that things can be accomplished. And that sense of duty wasn't even just my own to make sure that I was accomplishing the things that I had been asked to do, but I felt compelled to give off and and motivate the others that I was asking to do things to also sense Hmm. that same sense of duty. Hmm. Because if the baton is dropped, the race is over. Yeah. And so there really isn't anything that you can do at that point except follow up and ask again and ask again and ask again, unless they feel that desire, that spirit that tells them to go and accomplish the thing that has been asked of them, or that is subsequently their responsibility from the trainings that you have. And that would be another thing that I would always try to do whenever a new presidency was called or whenever a new counselor was called, say in a young men's presidency, that I allocated that time to sit down with that individual and give them Hmm. a chance at success by giving them some training, some background, some things that had been going on, some foresight and some things they may consider doing, but then give them every opportunity to make the calling their own by giving them that same direction and that same sense of duty to empower them and, and enlighten them to go out and do it. Yeah. And it sounds like for that duty to work, it really starts on day one, right? Absolutely. To implement it then. Um, any, you know, as far as like training new auxiliary members or organizational leaders, um, any certain approach you did is like if you, a new, uh, trying to think of uh, the ones that still exist, the church changes so, so often, but maybe it's new young women's presidency Mm -hmm. or something. Right. And, and so how would you prepare and how would you put that, that training on? Um, well, Bishop, the second Bishop that I served with was very good about this and he would, um, call a meeting in which we would gather them all together and give, um, up to and including everyone in the organization, any teachers or any secretaries or anyone had been called, um, to the organization to make sure that they felt like they mattered. Because Mm. when you have those training sessions, it is amazing how much better they feel when they get that training, when they feel like this is a calling that I now have that's come from the Lord and they're willing to give me my best foot forward. Mm -hmm. And so when you gather them together, we would try to come up with a theme or, or come up with a list of ways that they could better themselves or have them help us with some things that maybe that, 
intimidated them or that was on their mind. It was an open dialogue, and then we would call a meeting and have an opportunity to sit down with them and share with them, these are the things from the handbook that are required of you. However, that doesn't mean that this isn't your opportunity to prayerfully communicate with our Heavenly Father and get the direction that He wants you to have to run that organization and to connect with those individuals of which you will be serving. And that is when the most success happens, we found. Yeah, I, I like that. It's sort of a two-part where, you know, we're going to look at the handbook and make sure, you know, we yes. have the, the basics in place. And uh, But uh, then the invitation that, why don't you go pray on this? And, and there's going to be more, especially specifically for this ward that's it may be different than anything we had to experience. And, yeah. and you have been set apart. And, and please, brothers and sisters, visit your bishopric member and get set apart. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not so good at tracking you down. We're terrible, as a matter of yeah. fact. But please do yourself the favor yeah. and seek them out. They'd love to do it. And, and they allocate time to do it. Mm-hmm. But they're not always good about uh, grabbing you by the by the um, shoulder and escorting you to the bishop's office after church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it's like the the easiest thing they can fall through the cracks. It's, it's like, absolutely you know, one of I've them. I've been in this calling for eight months, and you know what? I don't think I was ever set apart. But it's you know it's powerful. It can be a great blessing to. There really is a that. blessing associated yeah. with that, and so please take that time to give yourself that opportunity to have that influence and that additional support and and blessing given to you. Yeah. That's that's great. Um, anything else as far as uh, that you think of with you know serving with two different uh, bishops? That uh, was it hard to transition to the new bishop because you kind of felt like, well, we sort of do these things this way, and now it's different. Any any thoughts coming to mind? Well, mine was specifically different because the ward split, and I was released one Sunday, went to church, and then the very next Sunday called to a new bishopric. So oh, yeah. I had this overwhelming sensation that I needed to just step in and be the guide and tell everyone what to do because this is what I had just been doing. <laughs> and it took, again, some humility to understand that the bishop had been called and this was going to be mm. under his direction. Yeah. But more specifically to your question, it is, there's no two ways to manage this. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of different ways that any bishopric can be successful. And when you meet together on those Sunday mornings or however often that you're getting together, prayerfully consider and prayerfully ask for direction so that you can be doing the Lord's will. And when you have that mindset and you are being led and directed by the Spirit. And if you don't feel like you are, all the more reason to meet and kneel and ask for that direction and that Spirit. Because there is nothing more that our Heavenly Father wants than for a war to be successful. And for those of people like myself, this my family, we moved to Boise, we have no other family here. Our ward family has always been our extended family. Mm-hmm. We're about to experience that again, where we'll yeah. know no one. And we will rely on that love, that connection, that that feeling of being a part of something. And there's a reason why we call it a, for, a ward family, because it is supposed to be just that. So be kind, be friendly, be loving, be open, love one another, forgive one another. All of those things are a big part of it. And if you will carry that spirit, you will make the bishop's life and everyone in that wards better. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's very helpful. Awesome. Anything, any other principle or point that uh, we haven't touched on before we wrap up? Um, more than anything, I guess back to that original point, 
um, one of the things that I am most grateful for was the opportunity to just have a chance to befriend more people. Mm-hmm. And then and then that role and that calling and that responsibility, you interact with more people, and that's perfectly understandable. Mm-hmm. But don't be afraid of that. Um, open yourself up to that. Hmm. It's challenging for some people. Yeah. Um, it's a big challenge for some people, actually. But pray for that direction. Pray for that open heart. Pray for that change of, of attitude and personality. Be approachable. Be somebody that the ward looks up to, not just because of the calling that you have, but because they know they can come and talk to you. They know that you're someone that's approachable and that they can come and say, Brother Yort, I wondered if I could talk to you for just a minute. Mm-hmm. If they don't feel that way, then then it's just always going to be, once again, the responsibility of the bishop. Now, if they have something to discuss with the bishop specifically, then, of course, you sure, would sure. turn that yeah. responsibility over to them. But sometimes they just need someone to talk to or they feel like they have something they need to share it's okay to sit down and counsel with those individuals. Take that information, take it back to the bishop, but then you can give, you can process it, and you can be a part of the process rather than the bishop always having every one of those discussions and having to deal with all of them. Yeah. And then again, it's it's a meeting to have another meeting. Now <laughs> he's going to have to tell us, we're going to have to counsel about it, we're going to have to talk about it, or maybe he now has to go to the stake president with it. But all of those things are perfectly fine. It is intended to be a bishop and and two counselors that operate as one unit. Learn to love one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, and and be willing to help one another. There are times that it's difficult to get around and call all of the different callings that need to happen in different organizations. If the counselor in charge of primary needs a helping hand, be willing to go make a couple of those calls on on the bishopric's behalf. It's not just one person's job. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a working organization and unit that can be successful. And all of those things are go hand in hand when you just learn to love one another. And, and by serving the Lord, you should find that love. And if you're not finding that love, then figure out what's going on in the relationships in that room and, and repair them. Yeah. Talk about them, ask for forgiveness, and and go to our Heavenly Father with a repentant heart and, and figure out what needs to happen in order to make that room full of the Spirit, which it needs to be in order for the ward to be the success it deserves. Yeah, love that. And, and I want to underscore, you know, you say about approachability. I think that's, it's such a undervalued leadership uh, principle because, if people don't aren't don't feel comfortable approaching you, I mean, what good are you as a leader? You know? Exactly. And especially, I would say it's even more paramount with with the organizational leaders you work with, right? If you're working with the Sunday school president, but he's you know he doesn't feel comfortable approaching you, like that's something that should be addressed or or worked towards, right? Absolutely. Because then, because I see a lot of people feel like I just need a few minutes of the bishop's time, right? I got to talk yes. about the bishop to the bishop about this thing in my organization when it's re- reality. You, know, you can talk to his counselor. You absolutely can. You have to be approachable. Should yes, yeah. actually talk yeah. to that person. Yeah, yep. for sure. All right. As we wrap up here, last question I have is: as you reflect on your time uh, serving as a counselor, uh, as a leader, another uh, leader in the ward, how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? Excellent question. It has made me more prayerful. It has made me someone who has felt that guiding spirit, 
and can't imagine operating any function or any part of his life without it. So I would say that it, it has made me want that spirit in my life more than ever, because in that role, in that calling, I had the chance to feel it. I had the chance to see the love of the Savior in a greater capacity than I ever had before. And uh, it makes me want to live my life so that I can continue to have that love and have that relationship that I have with him so that I can be the tool in his hand that he needs me to be. That concludes my interview with Michael Newton and Michael Yort. A big shout out and thank you to them for being willing to allowing me to put a microphone in their face and ask them questions. Sometimes that can be a little bit uh, nerve wracking, but they both handled it like champs and uh, it was I, I learned a lot. I hope you did as well. If you know of anybody else, whether in this specific type of calling or maybe there's a calling out there we haven't covered on the How I Lead segment that you would like to have us focus on, send me an email at leadingsaints.org slash contact uh, with either your encouragement or with a name or two of individuals that we should reach out to. Next month, we're doing a How I Lead episode about Relief Society presidents. And then in September, how I lead episode on stake young women's presidents or young women's presidents in general. And uh, from there on, who knows the callings that we'll cover and the, the topics we'll discuss, but it'd be great to get your input at leadingsaints.org slash contact. And remember, text the word lead to 474747 to gain access to remarkable interviews in the Questioning Saints library so that you are better prepared to minister to those who've begun to question their faith. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.